Anesthesia Nerds. Welcome to another edition of the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast, where we talk about nothing but veterinary anesthesia and pain management and how you can make it even better in your practice. Today, I have a really fantastic, super fun guest on with me. Um, If you are on Instagram and you enjoy photos of adorable dogs, you may be already following this person. Um, Or if you are in the UK and you watch a television show called The Pets Factor, you already may be um, following this person uh, because he has been on all kinds of television shows and in the media all over the place talking about pets and how we can treat them as best as possible. Uh, I'm talking about none other than veterinarian in the UK, Dr. Rory Cowlum. And if you guys aren't yet following him on social media, don't worry, I'll put links to his Instagram in the show notes because again, if you're like me and you're kind of a bit of an Anglophile and totally jealous of people who get to live in the UK, uh, this Instagram will you know, check all your boxes. Cute dog, London, fantastic. So uh, just a little bit about Rory really quickly. Um, He is a small animal general practitioner. He's based out of London. He has a certificate in small animal surgery. He really likes to provide the highest possible standard of veterinary care. And what's really cool is that he uses his social media platforms to talk to other pet owners, other clinicians, et cetera, about how we can be creating the best experience for our pets. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about his career, about ways we can make anesthesia uh, or the perception of anesthetic events a little bit safer in the minds of our clients and how we talk to pet owners about anesthetic practices. So ready, anesthesia nerds? Let's get into it. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Callum, for joining us today on the podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. So you are our, I believe you are our first UK guest. So Woo-hoo. welcome. Yay. Amazing. Say, like, you know, um, cheers. Offer you a beer. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm flattered. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, I've, I've followed you guys for a, a while. So uh, watched from the sidelines and the stuff you do is awesome. So to get involved is really, really cool. Thanks. So let's just get into it because we, um, we, we like to keep it pretty succinct here on the Anesthesia Nerds podcast. Um, let's talk about your career because um, you're, you're kind of being, you know, in the, the limelight per se with the media, especially being on a literal television show uh, and having a pretty healthy following on your social media. So I guess what I want to talk to you about is you have actually not been a vet for very long. Um, when did you decide in your veterinary career, like, hey, I want to kind of be in front of a camera. I want to have a bigger platform and get my message out there. Yeah. So I think, I think, I don't know how it is in the U S but over in the UK vets like to be nowhere near a camera ever. They don't like got cameras pointing at them as a general rule. So I was kind of going through, through universities. I graduated in 2015 from the Royal Vet College. And while I was there, I sort of realized that I was a little bit out of the ordinary in the fact that I really liked to be in that limelight. I liked to use that to sort of portray veterinary in a really cool modern way. Um, And I've always sort of said that veterinary is a little bit stuck in the 80s because it's quite an archaic profession. We we obviously do amazing high-tech stuff in the clinic, but the way we are seen by by, um, the general public, I think, is that old school house converted into like a vet clinic with with old school instruments or hand-me-downs from the from the human medical profession and we sort of just bumble along so 
I wanted to, well, came up with this idea while I was at uni that I basically wanted to portray modern veterinary and show people we are cool. We're doing things that are super, super high tech. We're providing amazing care. We're in these lovely clinics and, and we're there, not how they see us. Oh, I mean, 100%. I think that, um, and this is not to knock the new uh, series of uh, All Creatures Great and Small, because it's fantastic, <laughs> um, but I do think that that is the perception of a lot of people, is that, you know, we just have, like, these tiny clinics, and then maybe we have some supplies, but we're not really doing the same level of medicine, and, you know, you're you're just a veterinarian, and you're not at the same level. Um, and I certainly find it with anesthesia and pain management when I start talking to clients about kind of the level of anesthesia that we're doing and the level of pain management that we're doing nowadays, uh, they're usually blown away. They usually just did not expect that. So kind of to segue into that, you actually you got involved with a television show called The Pets Factor. So tell us a little bit about that, because we don't have that in the United States. And, you know, is that something that's aimed at pet owners? Yeah, so I've been I've been a vet for a couple of years and I'd sort of I'd spent a year working shift work. So I was doing night shifts and, and sort of really learning how to be a vet, really. Uh, and then I, I moved to a, a day clinic where I settled down. I've, I've been there for, for five years now. And in 2017, I was approached for this TV show that's actually aimed at kids. So it's it's on a children's channel uh, in the UK. And it is essentially an observational documentary. So it shows exactly what happens in and out the clinic with us. Um, and it follows me and three other vets, well, four other vets now around the country. And it basically gives kids an insight into the highs, the lows, the the happy, the sad, uh, and, and the ins and outs of veterinary. So um, that's really cool. We've done eight series of that. It's been an amazing journey. Um, and then off the back of that, as you um, very kindly pointed out, um, got a bit more of a following on, on social media and hopefully using that to help educate and help help communicate with clients a little bit more effectively um, and, and educate them on, on what we're doing as vets and how we do things. Awesome. So, yeah, we're definitely going to link up to um, I'll try to link up to the show itself so people can check that out. And then we'll link up to your social media as well, which is you know, again, really fantastic. I'm all for education. Um, and here at the Anesthesia Nerds, we're all for trying to educate people as far as, you know, not only clients and pet owners, but also we're big into educating kind of like, you know, peers as well and new doctors and veterinary staff. And we're kind of like trying to get away from the, this is how we've always done it mentality into, you know, how could we be doing it? How could we best serve our pets, you know, overall? So, Let's say that you, let's say I'm a young vet student. I've just started in vet school and maybe I would also like to take the same path as you have. And I really want to kind of engage with people and maybe have a social media following. What is some advice that you might have to these really younger veterinary students or veterinary nursing students who want to get out there and do kind of like you have and done some you know, put their face out there, get some client education and, you know, get known in the veterinary community. Yeah, I think there's, this, this comes with a, it's almost like a two pronged answer, I think, because there's, there's definitely pros and cons to this. And I think when educating people, sort of younger vet students or, or, or um, and there's such a great community of people on social, on social media at the moment, particularly in the veterinary world. And it's wonderful to see. And I think 
as you say, there's such an important role for social media. We are a 21st century profession now, and, and we need to use these tools to help educate owners and uh, owners and clients, but we also need to use it to, to help educate our, our, our students and our future vets and our young vets, our baby vets, whatever you want to use, help helping educate through social media is, is amazing. And there's people like Gerardo Polly, Alex Hines, Evan Antin, amazing people that are doing amazing things and doing things really, really well. And actually people learn in so many different ways. I'm such a visual learner. And I think honestly, if I had had some of the resources that are coming out of these social media accounts now as a student, I think I would have been blown away and, and, and probably done a whole lot better at uni um, because they are so brilliant. And, and I mean, Brooke Champers has just released her, her e-guide um, and her e-books and they're amazing. So there's some really cool stuff going out, out there. So I think if you want to do that, the, the key is passion. You've got to do something you believe in. Don't just be another face on, on Instagram that's just posting cute, cute puppies and kittens. Um, I've got that covered, guys. Don't worry. Um, so, so find your niche, find your passion, and, and talk about it. And, and talk about the things that, 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 you, that you really care about. People respond to genuine video content or picture content or, or even text. If it's genuine, it's from the heart, and you're passionate about it, people will respond to it. And, and that is all that I do, everything I put on social media is my heart on my sleeve every time. The second part of that is I would always just go in with a little bit of caution. So just be careful. Um, we do hear these stories and horror stories and it's, it will happen with social media, but you do hear these horror stories of people getting caught out, posting things they shouldn't, that sort of thing. So just be careful. Ask yourself, should I be posting that? Have I got permission for that photo? And that is the key. That's the one thing that I've seen more people get sort of picked up on than, than any other. And, and, and trust me, the RCVS or who, whatever board that you, you are certified by will pick up on those things. Um, so always get permission for photos, always make sure that it is used in the right way and in an educate in an educational way. And you'll be absolutely fine. Certainly, uh, people follow me on social media. They know how I feel about the, you know, whole veterinary influencer trend. And, um, I'm, very vocal about the fact that I am really over the whole influencer thing. And I, I'm, I'm not interested in being, um, an influencer per se to like, you know, get free scrubs or free stethoscopes. Uh, I personally just want everybody to be acting with integrity. And like you said, if you're super passionate about it, it's going to come through. I mean, obviously I think everyone knows by now I love dexmedetomidine. Like <laughs> dexmedetomidine is the best drug ever. And like, you know that I'm passionate about that. Um, but yes, I think that if you're doing it, you know, if it's really just this, you know, you looking cute in scrubs with a stethoscope over and over, it's going to, it's just going to fade away and it's not going to really educate people in the way that we want. So kind of like segue into education since, you know, this is a veterinary anesthesia nerds podcast and we are anesthesia and pain management based. Um, what I wanted to talk uh, kind of the meat of our, cause we always do a case based. So I'm, I'm not going to actually do a case with you as far as like, you know, a dog comes in like this, how would you treat it? I'm actually going to say that a, a, you know, a cat comes in and it needs multiple extractions. It has a horrible, painful mouth. And the owners have waited and waited because they don't want to do the surgery. They don't want to do the dentistry. They don't want to put the animal under anesthesia. And as we were talking before the podcast, 
we know just through some research that actually the owners don't go through with with surgery and anesthesia. We always think it's money-based. And we have actually found with a bunch of surveys that it's not actually money-based. And a lot of people are saying that they're very scared of surgery. They're scared of anesthesia. When they were kids, they had a pet that had a bad experience with anesthesia. And listen, in the anesthesia world, we hear that all the time. No, my pet reacts terribly to anesthesia. They had a bad anesthesia experience 15 years ago, so they don't want to do it. So for you, your case is not going to be with the patient related. Your case is going to be with the client. So because you have such a good way of communicating with people, you know, what's some advice you can give to other clinicians to kind of give them some tips of how we can communicate that anesthesia is, you know, we're going to be as safe as possible. What's some wording you use with clients? I think it, it, it all comes down to the preparation and the base of your relationship. So this is this is a really tricky situation, particularly if you're relatively newly introduced to these clients, right? So if you've known them for years and you've and you've had, and you've seen that animal through and you've got the history, then that's a much easier conversation. You know how to talk to them. You know how to reassure them. But let's say, for example, these guys have come in, maybe been in for one or two appointments with with my colleagues, never met them before, and, and suddenly I'm admitting this patient for said dental. So. I think first and foremost, you have to build trust. No one in that situation is going to proceed happily and be able to go home and sit at home and not be completely petrified that their animal is going to die if they don't trust you. So I think you have to be very open, be very honest and, and, and give them what they want. But also, what is it that actually worries them? Because I think that is the, is the crux of it. You've got to work out, okay, why is this owner so reluctant why have they been reluctant for the last two three four five years what's made them put it off and and why are they so concerned today so there's nothing wrong within that situation going just tell me what five things you are really worried about today and if they say dying under anesthesia and say okay well why does that worry you actually delve into it be a bit of a therapist because if you can address that deep-seated worry and it might be as you say 20 years ago, they had a dog dying around anesthesia. And then you can go, well, you know what? 20 years ago, we would, we had less drugs. We had less monitoring equipment. We don't do things quite the same. Our rates of complication have dropped significantly. And we tailor each anesthetic to each patient. I think you've got to use your tools as well. You've got to use what you have as a clinic. And this will depend um, on, on whoever's listening to this, what, what you've got in your practice. So if they've got that concern about, say, okay, well, how, how do you monitor it? You're just, you're just putting a tube down its throat and not doing anything. Well, say, no, we've got a dedicated nurse that monitors every anesthetic. They're very experienced. We tailor each anesthetic to each patient because we, we have these, this, this multitude of pre-medications and, and, and anesthetic drugs and induction agents that we can use. We will tailor it to, the, to, your, to your cat. Um, and I think then as well, if you're really struggling, a pre-anesthetic blood screen is where you can really really convince owners that you're doing everything in the, for the right reasons and, and doing it absolutely properly. So that's where a pre-operative blood screen can really help say, okay, well, look, we'll check organ function. We will check that we're happy um, going into that. And then if we need to change things, if we need to tailor things, we can do. The other thing I do a lot of is I do a lot of photos during the day. So I think that is where my world and the veterinary world I think combines a little bit. So if you've particularly got an owner that is worried, put yourself in the shoes of that owner. They've gone home, they've left their cat with someone that, okay, they 80% trust them, but they're not 100% sure. They've not had an anesthetic with them before. 
you would be sat worrying all morning. So for the sake of getting a support staff or even yourself, and I do this myself, I take a video on my phone of their animal getting a bit of fuss. I put it in an email and I send it to them. And that, I get more comments about that than anything else I do. I can do life-saving, amazing surgery. If I've sent them a video of their pet that morning before surgery with a bit of fuss, just saying, oh, hey, little cutie, how are you doing? Say hi, say hi to mummy. That goes a million miles. And then I think it's all about communication through the day. There's also then nothing worse than a, a client coming to you at 6 p.m. when they've not had, well, they've only had a phone call saying, yeah, it was fine. I think communication, communication, communication. I know that's all I'm about, but if you have told the owner every step of the way, if you said you're going to do pre-op bloods, don't call them after the operation saying it's gone well and the pre-op bloods are okay. Call them at the, at the when you get the results of the pre-op bloods, tell them the bloods are okay, reassure them, tell them you're going to carry on and you will call them within three or four hours. And I know everyone's under the cosh at the moment, but the, and not everyone has that time. But all it takes is getting someone or, or, or yourself Taking that, to, taking that 10, 15 seconds to put someone's mind at ease and you will have a client for life. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, if you don't have the time, then that's where, again, a trained nurse, veterinary nurse can be used to kind of talk with use for client communication and to help because, you know, to present that, you know, we are a team together taking care of your pet and trying to treat your pet as our own, et cetera. Absolutely. So that's really great advice. Um, I'm going to segue a little bit now, and I'm just going to ask you uh, about a drug because you guys have a drug that I would love to get my hands <laughs> on that you don't have in the United States, and that is your paracetamol. Yes, we do. So we do not have injectable paracetamol or acetaminophen. So for the people in the United States, can you just really quickly tell us what paracetamol is and how do you guys utilize it as far as pain management and anesthesia and surgery? I personally think paracetamol is is possibly the most underused drug in veterinary industry. I it's it's super effective. If you go into A&E, if you go into the hospital, what is the first thing they give you for pain relief? Paracetamol or acetaminophen. Or at least it is in the UK. You go into A&E, literally. I, I went in with my appendix bursting. They gave me paracetamol. It was just it's a reflex. It's a very effective drug. It's a very safe drug. You've got to avoid it in, in liver patients because you're you're concerned about um, pushing pushing the liver too hard. However, in patients that you've got pre-anesthetic bloods in, you can use it preoperatively, you can use it postoperatively, you can use it intraoperatively. It is very, very effective and low risk. Um, I use it a lot in a multimodal pain management of orthopedic cases. Um, I, I really like it. And again, I think it's an underutilized drug. IV, we use it at 10 mg per kg um, and, uh, and you can give that up to every eight hours. And it is so, so beautiful. And sometimes when you've just got that patient that won't settle under anesthetic, you, you've, you've maxed out your opioid doses. You don't want to you give them any more dexmedetomidine as you as you screamed about at the start. I love dexmedetomidine as well. It's an, just an amazing drug. Um, and if that's not quite enough and you've used things like local anesthetic marcanes or, 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 or blocks, Paracetamol can be an absolute winner to add it as a multimodal, and quite often within a few minutes, they really do settle down. Fantastic. So, uh, and again, for you guys in the U.S. who aren't familiar with paracetamol, take a minute to look it up. I'm a huge fan. Um, again, I we haven't been able to utilize it here in the United States. My hope is that at some point we will. Uh, for the paracetamol, is that something that you will utilize in conjunction with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or by itself? 
Absolutely. I use it in conjunction regularly uh, for, for intra-op and, uh, well, pre-optively as a, as a, as a pre-medication uh, and often I will use it post-operatively as well. So I'll often send home particularly painful cases. We, we often use things like fentanyl um, transdermal patches uh, and I will often pair that with a non-steroidal SID and a, and a paracetamol um, three times a day uh, at about 10 microgig. Okay, because I know that what we're going to hear is that, oh, we're really worried about giving something like paracetamol together with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, and then are we going to get a bunch of GI bleeding? Uh, has that been your experience? I haven't had a single one. Okay, fantastic. Paracetamol for everyone. I mean, uh, <laughs> whenever I go to England, um, I don't know if I should say this on, maybe the DEA can find me out, but like <laughs> every time I go to England, one of the first thing I do is like, we're going to boot, we're getting paracetamol with codeine <laughs> <laughs> because you can't get it here in the United States. And it's such a good pain reliever. Like, you know, uh, acetaminophen with codeine is an amazing pain reliever, and it's so regulated here in the United States. So, yes, for any of my UK followers, you know, if you want to send me some chocolate and maybe sneak a little <laughs> care package in there, that'd be totally fine. Uh, because because uh, the UK has better chocolate than we do, too. So that's just a fact. That one I will 100% um, agree with. Yeah, that is, that is a fact. Well, I am... So excited that we were able to have you on the show. And like I said to everybody, I will put uh, the show notes in there so we can link up to your social media and they can, um, you know, possibly watch you on the television and everything. So thank you so much, Dr. Colin, for being a guest on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. And we hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much. I'll put the paracetamol on the post. Oh, great. <laughs>